Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Between You and I Bad Grammar podcast. My name is Carrie Ockery, and I'm here with my cohort, Ryan Lane. Hello, hello. I was just about to, to take a, a cough break. <laughs> Perfect timing. Exactly. This is episode number 15. If you're new to the podcast, this is a podcast of conversations currently with people that I've just felt like talking to, uh, mainly in the Northwest, um, but that may expand as we go on. Uh, but today's guest is Steve Fisk, legendary Northwest producer, and so much more. Steve has produced acts such as Nirvana, Soundgarden, Beat Happening, um, and more. I, his discography is huge, so I can't even begin. I'll ask him about it when we start. He has also produced my last two solo records, of which I feel very lucky, and I plan on working with him into the future. Um, I think he's extraordinary. He's also been a part of the bands Pell-Mell and Pigeonhead, and so I just thought it would be exciting to talk to him about his process and where he comes from. So here we go. Well, hey, everybody, I am online. I'm, I want to, <laughs> Ryan, I want to call this almost the COVID series, mm -hmm. just because we're all at home. It is during the shelter in place in Washington State here. And um, with all the time on our hands, I just realized, hey, I want to do more of the podcasting. That might be really good for me. <laughs> and for for maybe technology, yes, exactly. It might be good for us to have, you know, utilize the way meeting up anyways. So today I um, invited my friend and my producer, uh, Steve Fist, to come talk to me. Um, and I'm excited to have you here. Thank you. You bet. I've been thinking about uh, uh, the things we <clears throat> set out to do on purpose and the things we've ended up doing by accident. Just, <laughs> and, uh, sort of more of the latter. <laughs> yes. More, uh, uh, Which is fun. Yeah. yeah, it's all oh, good. No, but both of them are great. Both of them are fun, but... Uh, uh, well, I think we're both comfortable with when recording, sort of leaving it a bit to mystery. I mean, you obviously lay an organ. Uh, my my last two records, I feel like you're the other bandmate or other co-writer because there's the songs and then the treatment of the songs. And that's you all over. And and frankly, you're arranging and putting sounds in there and giving it a whole steepest treatment. Um that takes it to a whole nother level that isn't mine. That's more yours. And I, lo I love it. <laughs> Which is so funny because uh, I could almost take offense at that. Why? <laughs> uh, because I built this lovely car for you to ride around in. This is your car. This, is not, this, this car does not look like me. This car looks like you. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I love collaboration. I mean, it's part it's of the a, joy. It's the joy. It's part of the joy to like. And it's so know. nice of you to say that. Thank you very much. Uh, of course. I appreciate that. Um, I, I well, love being able to work with great singers. I'm very spoiled. <laughs> there are so many great singers uh, coming, and I'm a guy that doesn't write lyrics, and I haven't even written a bridge. And yet, you know, Chris Cornell, Mark Lanigan, Calvin Johnson, Kurt Cobain, Carrie Ackery, 
you know, Sean Smith, I could just keep going, you know, the sins of omission. But as long as we're just calling it all out here for me, yeah. I, I just got used to like the singer being able to totally do what they're supposed to do. And then yeah. produce it, and they just put up the mic. Now I know the vocals are happening. Yeah, but, <laughs> you know. So. Well, you have an ear for it. I love. Um, I was gonna recount. I was actually talking to um, Kim Virant the other day, and I think she was reminding me. I think it was Kim or my friend Heather was reminding me um, about the article where you, this is how we kind of hooked up is you mentioned someone was asking you like, well, who haven't you worked with yet that you want to work with? And you had mentioned my name and I was extremely flattered. And I think I immediately called you like, yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. Yeah, like this, that would be a yes, yes, anytime now. And we've been making records since then, and we are planning, we have a couple projects, and, you know, my plan is to, I like the idea of having our partnership going forward. Um, Yeah, right? Because I I think we both really prize and definitely at this time really appreciate um, being with people one who are good at what they do, but who understand and um, I want to say really deeply love artistry, right? Or allowing the artist or um, supporting artistry um, as opposed to the rest of the crap that goes on in music. Um, um, The rest of the crap is why people get involved in this or is why a lot of people get involved in this. And so, God bless them, and I, I hope they make a lot of money and sell a lot of records. And um, at the risk of sounding like a Republican, you know, it raises all the boats in the harbor when there's a healthy <laughs> pop music scene and records are being sold. Yeah. But, um, uh, I, I at the age 65, I'm just shocked when I look back at how little I was concerned about making money here and here and here and here and. You know, <laughs> uh, and 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 uh, so for me, not to you know paint myself out uh, as you know something I'm not. You know, I'm, I'm I I care about making money, and we're all broke right now, with, uh, world ending and all of that. But um, uh, for me, it, it's always just been fun to make a record happen and to make cool music and to make something that somebody else digs. And and for me, uh, that's never gotten old. You know, somebody saying, oh, I just heard that thing you did. It's amazing. You know, and it's maybe something I produced or played on or something I suppose who did, you know, you know, so I don't want to take credit for things somebody else wrote and sang and all this other stuff. But I I was like, just the other day, I was getting some people, you know, just chimed in. I had no idea that record existed. I love that. That's amazing. (laughs) It was like some eight-year-old record by somebody great and you know right so for right. me it, it's it's a good thing it's it, it's a na- i'm just trying to say it's natural for me not to want to make money it's natural for me to focus on let's make a good song it's natural for me to want the singer to feel good about what's going on it's natural for me to want the musicians involved to be soaked in the studio i think that gets recorded you know when people are actually inspired you know and then yeah. having a good time and all of that so so for me I have these very stupid things that I just ingested as part of my, my shtick. And it's so well, weird, you know, cause I need some, you know, avarice, young canine record producer, you know, with 
pronounced teeth that wants to go and you know make a record to build a battering ramp to knock down a door to buy a boat you know <laughs> you right know? and that's that's a fine thing too but i just i i have so little in common with that guy and and, and he's a good guy or a woman or whatever but yeah i just i just never really you know i just was always so happy to just get involved and be involved in this whole thing that the uh the avarice of it never really occurred to me you know Well, I got to say, like, you are a really good example for me, a very timely at this time in my life example of someone who loves what they do, always has. And your work has been based on what you love to do, even if it was like, you know, an up and down road, like like any career in anywhere could be. But that you being someone who does your artwork and continues to do your artwork is something I personally need because that's what I'm returning to in a much deeper way for myself. Like I'm changing my life in order to go there again, because I think that's how you should live. Um, and there's no shame in money. We all like, we all like money. It no, may come or all. go. Right. Yeah. But, oh, no, I'm not trying to talk money down. Right. Fine, you know. But you, you have, you've done work that you love to do. And I say that in comparison of like, um, instead of going, well, I'm going to put it down and go do corp- corporate work, which there's no shame in that either. But I, I personally have felt the difference, right? It's for me, it has been um, a step away from myself. And I have a, I am oh, very aware of the, the hole that that has created in me as a person. And so, and I value is what I'm saying. I value doing work that you love so much deeper and, uh, and, think it requires courage right now to return to that. So you're my example of, of someone whose your work has been what you like to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've been very lucky. You know, it's, uh, this, this business has pushed a lot of people out, you know, yeah. so, um, even before this last, you know, big kick in the stomach, you know, uh, you know, I, I was still like, you know, just like, Oh my God, you know, it's like, I didn't, mean to be the last guy on deck you know (laughs) but but there's just so many of these people that you know and i understand the healthiness of quitting you know quit a few times uh right uh no i I took an award and threw it in the wall in the bay you know it's a real (laughs) life thing like i'm done with this shit you know and me and my girlfriend we walked down to the harbor and i threw in my award and it wouldn't stay (laughs) so it kind of just (laughs) that was a sign it was a total sign yeah yeah, okay Yeah, what was that? What was the award? It was uh, NAMA. Do you remember NAMA? Yes. Uh, Hey, you see? Gray hair! (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, NAMA doesn't matter. No one remembers NAMA. NAMA was uh, a very wonderful, greedy organization that was inviting everyone else to the party that was happening organically up here. God bless them. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I, I. I think it's healthy, though, to have a quit moment, though, several quit moments. You know, it's only human, right? Just say, I've had enough. You can, like, take a break, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like that's maybe a, a natural thing to do. It doesn't mean it's really the end sometimes, but who wouldn't? Sometimes <laughs> who it's the right it's... beginning. Yeah, I mean, you've got you <gasps> yes. to stop to start new stuff, usually. Well, mm-hmm. and, and let's say my, my initial uh, career move was to leave Los Angeles and move to a small town in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Right. So I've been right. quitting since I was 19, you know. Right. 
which leads me to like I want to I you and I have talked about your um, your history, your path up into the northwest. But I would love it if you would share um, because I don't think, you know, Ryan or anybody listening hasn't heard. I, I always find it fascinating, you know. I mean, you you came up from California into like you're right, like Ellensburg, or you you tell the story of of where things began for you and your um, your moves, which have led you up to here, if you don't mind. Uh, no, I'm, I I um, I could ask to do that sometimes. Uh, <laughs> unbeknownst to many people, perhaps unbeknownst to you, even Carrie, uh, hmm. my family helped set, settle the Kittitas Valley. Oh. I did not know that. We have an unfortunately named river named after a, <laughs> a, a character named Whiskey Dick. <laughs> no way. And so we have the Whiskey Dick River, and I don't know what else we have, but my great cousin on my mother's side, John Stoffer, started the Whiskey Dick Sheep Ranch. Whoa. So if you drive into Ellensburg from the Tri-City side, that's that terrible smell. <laughs> Which isn't the sheep ranch anymore. It's the beef rendering plant that's on top of the sheep ranch that was started by my cousin, John Stoffer. Wow. So, I know that smell. Yes. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a good smell. So, <laughs> right. I'm a Tri-Cities girl. I come from Kennewick. I know that path. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not how, that's not the best way to meet Ellisburg. That's not her good sign. <laughs> First off, you're coming through Yakima. Yeah. It's right, never right. a great way to see it. Or anyone. Vantage. Or Vantage if you're coming from Richland, right? Either way. And then if it's windy, good lord! Did you take a Did you take a, a moment to look at that ridiculous movie I sent you? And with one of the links. It's yes, our, I think so. No, there's a full hour and twenty minute film that was shot in Vantage with me in the screaming trees. Oh, uh, oh! <laughs> yes, I did, and I kept looking. I'm like, is that Mark Lanigan? Is that like? Because you guys are so young, so young. Yes. All right. All right. Well, back to the family. Back to like, okay. So, no, so anyway, that's Vantage, as long as we're describing things that people yes. see here in a podcast. But um, the point was, is I've been to Ellensburg at least twice on family vacations and Mount Rainier as well. So this was always a place that we went on long, complicated car vacations. <laughs> and uh, I have a good friend who might be listening. His name is Mike Donahoe. He's in Vienna, but we went to uh, junior high and high school together in Paramount, California. And he started a loony cult in Ellensburg. And it wasn't really a loony cult, but it was kind of proto-slacking. We didn't have a name for it back then, but <laughs> he was the first guy to Ellensburg. And then I think Ed came up, and then Ralph, and then Dave. And then uh, I came up, and we basically lived in Ellensburg and had shitty part-time jobs and played in bands or did karate or whatever else you would do. Now, who are those people? Who's all those people? Who are those guys? Who are those guys? <laughs> those are those are wonderful people that, that are just my good friends that thank God to Facebook. Other people might know who they are because they're all over my Facebook page. Nice. But there's Ralph Shannon McConkie because he and his wife share a Facebook page and they uh -huh. uh, they live back in Ellensburg and they were my good friends and roommates of that world. Uh, and then Mike Donahoe, who, um, God. We could really get deep on this, but uh, mm -hmm. Mike was like way too smart for high school and moved away to Ellensburg and lived there for a long time and then got serious about karate and then moved to Vienna because his dojo was based in Vienna. There he went to work for the United Nations. And wow. before he retired, he was the guy that when they had to pick up coffee and Anne from the 
the airport and take him to the CNN studio in Vienna. He was the UN guy in the blue seared jacket that would meet the guy, you know, wow. and, there and, and wait for anyway. So this is a stoner friend of mine from Paramount, California. <laughs> uh, ended up in the upper bowels of the United Nations. Uh, that's Mike Donahoe. Um, my good friend Dave is in restaurants, uh, Dave Wells, and he's in Phoenix. And uh, we've lost track of Ed. <laughs> All right. Maybe <laughs> and, uh, maybe he'll find us. <laughs> yeah. We have a band. I'm not going to tell you the name. Okay. Because uh, it was a terrible name. But uh, but uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, those are the guys I grew up with. And we shared records and taste and, and the ennui of the... Was, um, in California, right? In California, yeah. It it was sort of like, um, what was the great slacker movie that starts with Sweet Emotion? Oh, no. uh, it's a Linklater film. Everybody's in it. I have to uh, go look. Ryan's going to look right now. Wait, anyway, this was like a terrible <laughs> version of the of the of the what that movie was based on. You know, terrible bell bottom jeans and you know Southern California and football mean, teams. And you mean the movie yeah. Slacker? Yes, I mean, that might be the movie yeah. Slacker. Probably just yeah. the name that it is. Yeah, that, <laughs> aptly titled. That's what I thought at first, but I was like, God, I can't be that obvious. Yes. Yeah, is. that's well, that's sixty five. You paint with a broad brush. <laughs> uh, Good enough. But anyway, yeah, that was that was my posse. Thank you for making me name check them because I love them still. <laughs> They're wonderful people. Yeah, that's pretty. That's awesome. But you know, when you told me, I, I guess I didn't realize um, that you were from that you'd moved up from California, and you were doing stuff in California already musically, right? Um, you know, I had some brushes with fame. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was trying to make original music because I thought that that was what people did instead of playing other people's music because that's all you do as a keyboard player. You get invited to play other people's music. <laughs> yeah. um, so I was very, very confused. Uh, didn't have a brain in my motherfucking head. But because California, as big as it is, there's still lots of people trying to do stuff. So I ended up doing some weird experimental K-hole music with uh, Dave Allen. Uh, oh, wow. Dave Alvin, Dave Alvin, excuse me, from the Blasters. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. uh, oh, wow. And all that other shit. Yeah, just because I had a synthesizer, so I got to meet people, you know. Yeah. And so I got to do interesting stuff. So I did some shit with him. Um, I was in a proto-metal kind of thing with George from uh, from Dawkin, George Lynch from Dawkin. Wow. And... Um, uh, Dave Pahoa from the Plimsolls was my friend in oh, high school. yeah. No he was way. Bass player in the Plimsolls, yes. I and I believe band. Ramirez was the original drummer who was another friend of mine from back then. See, that was like a whole piece of history when you were talking. I was like, what? Like, wait a minute. Like, and how, I mean, how old were you then? Well, I wasn't mm -hmm. 21. Right. I was old. I looked old for my age, so I was playing in bars when I was 17. 18. Huh. But you were in your teens. That's what I always thought too. I was like, oh wow, you like you started, you were into it like in your teens. Yeah, um, yeah, oh, which man. is pretty I mean, cool. If I would have stayed, it would have been terrible. You know, you think so? <laughs> oh sure. Well, I I got a studio gig, bringing my synthesizer in so people could play with that and use it all day for overdubs. And it was in Sound City in the same room where Teen Spirit was recorded. And oh, wow. all this other crap, but the but the point of it was is that I could have got myself into a cocaine lifestyle. Oh yeah. Uh, in 1974, 75, when people didn't even know it was bad for you. Oh my god. So I'd be living at home, driving into Hollywood, 
getting oh, more yeah. and more addicted to coke, wondering where the money was. <laughs> By 1978, things would have been really bad. It would have been another chapter of Boogie Nights. You know. Oh my God, I was just thinking about that movie. I don't know why it's funny. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah me too. But instead, <laughs> yeah, right. Today's in- movie date: slacker <laughs> to Boogie Nights. Yes. <laughs> you know, followed by singles. Followed by oh my god, uh, that could really trigger a lot of things all over the place. Though yeah. <laughs> I have to choose my my movies carefully so that I don't go like fall into some emotional hole. But <laughs> but you okay? So you didn't stay there though. Like at some point you're like, oh, I'm going to Ellensburg. I got more interested in finishing my college um, studies, and I learned about the Evergreen State College and the amazing facilities they had there, and. And more than that, uh, I met my next, you know, set of knuckleheads, you know, which were all <laughs> these Olympia people that, uh, you know, we had a interlocking musical ethos and aesthetics and all of that. So, yeah, I met them and excuse me, moved to Evergreen and studied uh, composition for a few years, but also got involved in uh, the radio station. And through that, I got involved in independent music and all the wonderful things were happening in independent music in 79, 80, 81. And, was uh, the radio station the, Chaos? Steve, was it Chaos? Is that the K A O S Olympia? Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And and that crew, as long as we're name checking everybody today, I'll miss them. Yeah. But uh, George Romancic, uh, John Foster, Dave Rao, Tony Holm, Calvin Johnson, Bruce Abbott. You know. Right. And then the next generation was you know Goodmanson and Stuart Hallerman and Adam Casper and. All these other people that came out of it, you know, like later on. So, so there was a rich music, and then Diana Aaron's and Allison yeah. and Arrington Dionysa and Mira. And, well, know. even when I started, there's a whole um, Evergreen Olympia faction. I mean, Evergreen. Let's just say, like, I know so many people went to Evergreen. So, just as a college, as a hub, and you know, for those who don't know, Evergreen was a I don't know what you would call Evergreen. I mean, they're great. What was well, it like? Well, the, it was a free school. There were there were yes. many free schools in the U.S. Evergreen was probably the best funded mm-hmm. uh, because it was a state institution. But there was Franconia and Fairhaven and um, the one in Yellow Springs that I always forget about that Andy from the Gits went to. Oh, um, really? Okay, yeah. Yeah, but there was another big deal falling apart free school and and uh they were all dying probably about 75 76 evergreen lasted but the rest of them right. were gone. well and like then Dan- the idea was there was no grades so right. it was the 70s yes. idea there's no grades you wrote evaluations of people which that doesn't work at all because because <laughs> you immediately want to keep working at the school so you're going to say nice things about what you did nice things about what you learned and specifically nice things about the person you're you, that you took the class from and he wants to hang on, he or she wants to hang on to their job. So oh. the last thing they're going to do is like, well, this was a waste of my, you know, semester <laughs> right. and the student didn't learn anything. And, yeah. You know, you're going to say that. You could create your own degree there, too, if I remember correctly. Like that's you could invent a exactly degree. what I did. That's yeah. exactly what yes. I did. Yes. I think that's amazing. I mean, you know, Danny uh, Newcomb and Garth Reeves, both people who played in my band, Goodness, came from Evergreen, as well as... Timo Ellis, I met there. Like, there's a ton of people that I know, musicians that I know who all went to Evergreen. It was, it was a, there was a huge faction of people who just are, you know, play a huge part in the creative scene. And I mean, you know, Riot Girl and Calvin Johnson, that whole beat happening. And, um, 
that whole scene was there as well or with, right? And so you many, were right in the middle of that. So many different people were attracted there for so many different reasons. That's the weirdest thing. It wasn't just right. like, hi, I'm going to move there and try to get my band on K and play, you know, for the frumpies. You know, there was, I mean, <laughs> there was a little of that, but then because the school is a very serious school, it still is, but you could go there and study publishing. You could go there and study environmental this and that. You could go there and study canoe building and do Native American studies like white people like to do in the 70s and the 80s. Maybe they still do. Uh, <laughs> they might. I work with an Indian now, so I'm always embarrassed. About Would you say the, something yeah. about all the Indian shit that goes on at Evergreen? Because it is really entitled white guys that found an Indian that taught them how to make a canoe and taught them how to build this and taught them how to. Do, I feel sorry, <laughs> but real sorry for that Indian that he had to put up with those Evergreeners. Oh my god! <laughs> right. Well, Olympia is such a weird amalgamation of things. You've got Evergreen, then you've got you know a music scene, and then you've got the capital, Washington State's capital there, and then a huge uh, right faction right like it's conservative mm -hmm. with like the most experimental liberal people it's, it's a mishmash it's amazing and it's small like olympia as a town is especially mm -hmm. then was really small which can either make it like really fun because it's a free-for-all right you've got all those elements and it's it's not expensive it's uh you could really work your magic and create things and start something new within all of that. Um, but it's still a weird mixture of super conservative and super liberal, right? Like yeah, no, uh, people hitchhiked back then a lot and, right. and people got beat up all the time because people would go out looking to pick up greeners just to beat the right. fuck out of their car. Right. And it was the same crap as like, Oh, God bless. But it's the same shit now. It's like this is imagine the redneck entitlement that like yes. that school's out there. They took our jobs. That's our money paying for that school. Yeah. Inviting some fucking kid from Boston to come out there and he can play guitar and smoke clove cigarettes. Yeah, I'm going to beat that motherfucker up. Yeah. And I'm going to stuff his spotted owl in his mouth. Right, right, right. Oh, God. Owl. <laughs> spotted owl. owl. Yes, that was a whole period in Washington State, too, protecting well, the spotted owl. All the Vietnamese moved into my neighborhood. Because <laughs> that yes. was going on then, too. So the redneck thing was bad. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. Well, you take somebody who doesn't understand it certainly is going to open up to somebody trying something new. I mean, coming from the Tri-Cities, there was a lot of that as well. Um, and it's just an automatic you know, if you got one side, I'd say like the conservative side, just going, I don't get it. I beat it up. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I'm not going to even, I, I'm not even going to, even if you don't agree, sit back and go, okay, well, let me understand. Like, what do, what are you interested in or whatever? I'm just going to think you're a jerk and threatening me some way. And so, uh, you must beating. have the clan growing up over there, right? I don't know about that. I don't know. Adam and Ellensburg, they were trying to recruit in Ellensburg. Did they? Yeah. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, we had the Hanford site, so it was like, <laughs> well, I mean, you had so it's much, farmers, too. But you had a big government presence, and so that might have, but that, that's, we can get deep into this, or we can just move past it, but yeah. the, the Nazi thing, that was in Idaho, and it was, yeah. they were up here specifically because you could identify white populations. Right. And and so Eastern Washington was hella white and they yeah. saw that as a place that they could recruit mm -hmm. and they specifically sent a guy to ellensburg uh and he worked as a bouncer for three months at the local quonset hut you know bar the you know college kids all that 
And then he started hosting barbecues on Sunday where people. Oh, that's so creepy. Oh, and then they'd have guys out in the suits with bullhorns reading the shit and trying to get kids oh. to join the clan. That's a lot of effort for some white power right there and racism like that's I w- I'm more scared of someone's organized and working hard for it like mm-hmm. there's because they, there seems to be oh they're really not going to stop they're really into it now they're consumed by the working of growing it and so there'll be no stopping to think about it <laughs> like that's crude that's way scarier to me yeah well it turns into like a social group and it's not even about maybe what the cause just I want to right. the meeting this well we could have a picnic Men like barbecue. We'll have a barbecue. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. On Sundays. <laughs> yes, that'll be lovely. We'll have a barbecue. Oh. On Sunday. I mean, who doesn't well, want a lovely. Sunday barbecue that's full What's of anger? What's the budget? What are yeah. we going to spend? You know? <laughs> oh my god! Angry barbecue. Napkins. How much are we going to spend on disposable cups? You know. Right. If you think about <laughs> it. Well, okay. Back to Olympia, though. So you go to Evergreen. You're working on all this stuff. You're, you're you know, you're meeting and playing. You know music you're with all these people how did you end up working like with uh calvin beat happening and all of that because there was slim moon there too yet or no no slim not yet okay in montana and probably women 11 when okay. i moved to evergreen that's how early all of this goes calvin on the other hand uh was 15 and was a radio dj at chaos back then he was 15 wow yes i didn't realize that okay and we were all very proud, us 25 to 30-year-old punk rockers, if you could even be that at age 25 in 1979. <laughs> very proud to have a real live kid running uh, a, a punk rock radio show. And it just, uh, it, it, it was like he was our brand. He, yeah, there it is. Oh, it, interesting. It's an action. You know? Yeah. And, and he brought his young friend up. Oh, Lois. Hi. How are you? Nice to meet you, Lois. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. And Heather from Beat Happening. She was hanging out there. She was doing shows, you know. Yeah. You well, know? how did you end up um how long did it take before you were producing? Because you produce like Beat Happening Records, Calvin's band. Uh, I produced the Cool Rays. Or okay. I co produced the Cool Rays. Didn't Drew Canulet? Did you ever meet Drew Canulet? I don't Drew think so. Canulet. I pronounce his name correctly. Canulet. Canulet. Uh he ran Dogfish Audio in Portland, probably still does. <laughs> Uh, we worked on Soundgarden stuff together, and he mixed a Pell-Mell uh, reissue, and he's another Evergreener from back then, and another good friend of mine from, from okay. Apple Posse. And he and I worked on uh, the Cool Race together at the, the Evergreen State College. So Calvin yeah. band when he was 16. Yeah. And he was wow. dancing exactly the same way when he was 16, that kind of Nancy <laughs> Sinatra, the one foot in the other, all this other crazy shit. So, so um when you have an independent record label, you have to make a jacket. And there's a blank space on the jacket where it says produced by or engineered by. And so yeah. that's when they started calling me a producer. And I said, I'm not a producer. What do you mean? Oh, yes, you are. <laughs> you so, are now. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, so what did you do? Well, I did this. So, yeah, you produced the record. So uh, had I realized the company that would put me in, I might have held back on the word <laughs> a little bit because there's some <laughs> loony people called those record producers. But uh, yeah, I produced the Beakers. I produced the Max Band. Uh, I produced Westside Lockers, and um, probably about four other like rock projects. You know, while I was at, at yeah. some of the stuff was in Seattle. Actually, some of the stuff was a reciprocal. You know, which you know. Oh yeah. Back when it was Triangle, I, I got to work up there in the old incarnation of that place as well. Oh, we got to get to that place too because so many people have recorded there, including myself. Yeah. Well, so when does so 
where does Pell-Mell fit into this timeline? So you're an evergreen. I'm the world's biggest Pell-Mell fan at that point. Bruce Pavitt is their manager. Okay. And uh, for those who don't know, Bruce Pavitt is one of the duo that started Sub Pop Records. Yes. In case, in case you don't know. I know. That's interesting. I, you know, if I just use that word like everybody knows, but with mustard, you get ketchup. <laughs> Sub Pop, you get Bruce Pavitt. Jonathan, mm-hmm. whatever, but yeah. Uh, but, uh, no, I, uh, after everybody or all around me was telling me Pell-Mell was the best band in the universe, I said no for about nine months. And then I said, no, nah, you're right. They're the best. band." <laughs> yeah. Especially cause there were no vocals. God bless vocals. But, uh, yeah. but the, the, uh, instrumental thing and the way they approached it in 1980 was very, very unique. And, was, uh, was Pell-Mell in Olympia or was it Portland? Portland. Okay. Okay. So you're yeah. like, you're. You're, are you in Oli at this time and you're producing and then you join Pell-Mell? I mixed their live uh, record. They okay. did a live record and that's when I broached the subject of me joining the band. They, their fourth member had quit. They'd done a live record and it was an interesting live record as a three-piece. And I, and kind of when the project was over with, uh, we were driving around and I said, can we talk for a minute? And, and I said, I love to join this band if you ever added a fourth person you know back i like what it sounds like now but if you added and they actually had already talked about adding a fourth person back and not adding a guitar player and trying to do something different and that's they'd actually already talked about approaching me oh cool uh, because they knew my stuff because i was on the first sub pop cassette so they knew you know See, people, do people know that? People don't know that. I don't know that. Yeah, yeah like on the first I, cassette. I believe, am I the, the first, second, or third track on the very first Sub Pop cassette? Sub Pop oh 5. Gosh. Nice. Yeah. yeah. What so, was all on that? You and who else on the first? And Pill Mill, and I think Jungle Nausea, and Jason, and the Nashville Scorchers before they got signed as Jason and the Scorchers. Uh, half Japanese in some form or another oh, uh, yeah. an early version of a Calvin Johnson band, but the, I'm main checking all the local stuff. They're actually, that was the whole point of sub pop. It was regional indie music from second cities across America. Yeah. So there yeah. were people from Kansas, uh, what, uh, Pylon. I think Pylon was on the first cassette. Does Wild. anybody know who Pylon is? Does anybody remember Pylon? Pylon are wonderful. <laughs> Does anybody remember? <laughs> Does anybody out there remember Pylon? Uh, if Sonic Youth met the B-52s, you'd get Pylon. Whoa. Yeah. Doesn't that right. sound like fun? I'm going to have to dig up it some does. of their stuff. Yeah. Was- Do yeah, it. Well, actually, yeah. um, the guitar players passed, and they actually have the – they're from Athens, right? They're Southerners. They have the Pylon yeah. Reenactment Society. Right. <laughs> <So Wow. laughs> Most of the original members are extra people, and they go around and they tour and they play pylon songs. So oh, cool. You can hear pylon whenever you want to. It's wonderful. That's crazy. Yeah. So all this is going on. You've joined Pell-Mell. When do you decide to go to Ellensburg? Is that next? No. Uh, okay. I uh, was finishing up Evergreen and was now slacking officially, hanging out in Olympia and... Uh, bunch of shit fell apart and so i joined phil mel in the bay area oh, okay part of their short-lived uh bay area incarnation because they thought they'd done everything they could do in portland and so they moved to berkeley actually and i moved down i think about six eight months later 
Okay. And joined the band and we rehearsed in Berkeley and uh, I think we did a couple Crescenty tours, you know, where you go from yeah. San Francisco down to LA or San Francisco up to Seattle or whatever, Vancouver, we played Canada a couple of times. So we had a small live career, uh, 84, 85, 86 nice. maybe. Yeah. Nice. And we broke up and then I moved back to Ellensburg because I moved to Ellensburg originally right out of uh, my college bar band nonsense in uh, 75. Oh, so, right. Uh, so I had three years there, moved to Evergreen, moved to Bay Area to try to, you know, that was my thing. And, you know, if this doesn't work, I'm going to a day job, you know, join Pell thing, right? <laughs> and then that blew up and I moved back to Ellensburg and time to start working on my friend Sam Albright. who's another posse I have to check here. Sam Albright was a guy I played in bands with all through my time in Ellensburg and made all kinds of weird high concept stuff that involves sculpture and dancers, wow. and all kinds of Don Cagey, Merce Cunningham, wannabe kind of stuff. And he and I actually did some punk rock shit like that. He had a gallery in Seattle in 79, And he kept doing crazy stuff over there. So, so we, That's cool. Sam and I did a lot of weird shit together and Sam will show up later in the story. That's why I name check him here. But uh, he built that studio which is the studio that the Screaming Trees did all their shit at and or, you know, first three and a half records or whatever and two beat happening records and the Girl Trouble record and Oh wow. Danger Bunny record, Danger Mouse record, uh <laughs> Chemistry Set record. I mean Cadillac came over had the nerve to record in Ellensburg, did a chemistry set record over I there. That name. I remember that name. Yeah. Yeah, and Tacoma bands, some cool Tacoma bands. Uh, yeah. Uh Alphabet Swill. That sounds familiar. Yeah, Clint from Seaweed was an Alphabet Swill. Okay, yeah. You know, yeah. very, very young when he was 15. And then once again, I'm always in recording people and they're 15, 16, 17. I, don't know. <laughs> I know that sounds creepy, but that's, that seems to be a life path. Is it like, oh, oh no, you stand over there. Hang on, I'll just worry. put on the headphones. How no. lucky. Yeah. yeah. It's like musicians well, of their think... purest form. They're just young and fresh. full of. And all... they want to record. You know, I just... Yeah. Think record i mean we're jumping way ahead but there's this really cool kid from ogden uh sammy brew who's actually signed and does these kind of not kind of he does very high production country records but he's got a scrappy band and yeah most of them were you know way under 21 and we actually uh did a record the day that the kids all uh did that walkout uh after parkland oh, so wow. when all the kids all over america were taking the day off these guys were recording these sort of kid positive crazy songs and it was like 17 year olds you know on this anyway it was a very inspiring thing to do and sammy brew is very yeah. cool and i don't mean to say shitty things about his produced records because they're 2019 2020 people make produced records so he makes produced records but i got to make a really crazy scrappy record with it was a lot of fun well how crazy lucky for somebody at 15 to get to a situation where you're with you as a producer and getting to record i'm like what the hell was i doing at 15 i was you know like not oh, that i'm a good example but yeah exactly <laughs> but i'm like so lucky to have a studio around a great producer and at that young age being i mean that's just i always envy people who are like start younger or get get the ability to you know have something in their city or town where it was available like well, i always say you know, the Tri-Cities, somebody, you know, if people ask me like, oh, you know, were you ever in bands in Tri-Cities? I was like, no. I mean, I, if you weren't into hardcore punk, 
it was idol. I think there were like cover bands who, you know, bars, but I, that it just never crossed my mind because it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no. Well, and I was from Los Angeles. So imagine the things I was ignoring right. and the things that I thought was important that weren't important <laughs> at all. Uh, well, this, well, trans- you, this, yeah. this translates, transitions, excuse me, transitions easily into talking about Mark Pickerel for a second. Right. Well, leading because into, yeah. Mark Pickerel, drummer for the Screaming Trees, wrote me a fan letter when I was living in Oakland. <gasps> yeah. And oh, God, yeah. so, because uh, he'd heard my, my first 45 that I did in, in Olympia. And uh, so when I moved back to Ellensburg, you know, I said, oh, where's this crazy kid with the band? And that's, you know, they said, oh, he's over at the video store. Of course, that's the video store that the Screaming Trees parents own. Mm-hmm. All the Screaming Trees worked at. The Screaming Trees had the rehearsal in the back room and all this shit. So I went and met Mark and then met the Screaming Trees kind of all in an evening. Wow. And, See, and, you know, <laughs> I love I love that because it just your story, like just because we've had this conversation like way back when I got a letter from this kid. And then, you know, like years later, I, it just gives me faith in like synchronicity, too. And like, just wait, give life like a minute. Something will connect you to something. And it's always kind of magical to me. Anyways, but, that's but, really but, cool. yes, yes, but no. Why? Pickerel had nerve. And so he said, well, yeah, I want to I want to tell this guy I like his record i want to tell him about my band too sure and, okay and so we made that first cassette together other worlds became a record after that and he went to seattle and saw black flag and gave it to the guitar player in black flag and yeah. that's how the screaming trees got an sst because uh, mark pickerel was that. like check me out i'm mark pickerel check out my band i'm mark pickerel I'm 15, I, I'm 16, I'm 17, check me out. You know? I would go farther to say it's still synchronicity because like you are in, you put yourself in the flow of like music and art. You're going to attract people who are like, look at me. I want you, you know, or give me that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It helps me good like, too. Yeah. yeah. Cause I mean, a lot of people yes. are out there saying like, I listen to my demo and you're like, Oh, this is terrible. <laughs> yeah. No, Mark Pickerel is very good. Screaming trees are very, very good. So so you, when you got to Ellensburg, like who are all the people then you end up working with there, there screaming trees being one of them, but right. like, did you, you started, you did a whole bunch of like producing there. Yeah. Well, and that's the beautiful thing about being the recording studio in the middle of nowhere. Uh, yeah. you know, you record everything. So does anybody that wants the services of a recording studio comes walking in there. So it's, um, it was a job and there were some things that were more like, Oh, I have to record this person and I hope they don't start crying. I have to record this person and I hope they don't steal anything. I have to record this person and I have to figure out what I'm going to do at two o'clock in the morning when their horrible song is stuck in my head, you know, uh, <laughs> life so, of a producer. <laughs> well, life of an engineer. Oh, okay. Cause I was an engineer the studio got hired and okay. I paid to keep my mouth shut and, and follow the orders of whoever was doing it. I wasn't Steve Fisk. Nobody was Steve Fisk was. What years was this? What, what years? 85, 86, 87, 88. Okay. 80, okay. 80, 86, 86. Most overlap there. I think, I think I got to Ellensburg by 86. It might've been the end of 85. Might have been the okay. But that's a pretty normal path, right? For somebody to go into play, like assist engineer and then. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and it's great. I learned so much that it helped me. And I would have never learned much about acoustic guitars recording rock bands, but because mm-hmm. I recorded all this folk stuff, you know, I figured out my crazy stuff and then the normal stuff too. And uh, is I that know. where you, 
Steve, is that, is that, do you think in, as an engineer, that's where you cut your teeth on like mic placement, equipment? Um, and that's yeah, where yeah. Sam Albright comes in too, because Sam yeah. knew all of this stuff ahead of time. And what he didn't know, he learned from Peter Carl, who was the other engineer there before I left. And so he was very, very free with his knowledge and told me everything that I had should have learned at Evergreen. <laughs> but it was too late. I had already graduated and I was in Ellensburg. So that was the other thing, too, is at Evergreen, I'd never studied. Or if somebody got called a record producer, I never had any audio classes. I had composition classes. Oh, right. Oh, interesting shit, you know well i feel like all the engineers well not all of them but a lot of the engineers i know it's from like just hands-on like it's not like they learned, went to school yeah. they don't have a degree you know like some people can get you know degrees or associate you know degrees but um most of the people i know were like i just wanted to work there i started as an intern and worked my way up and i thought i'd be doing this but i ended up doing that you know, like, yeah, yeah. Oh no, that's uh, that. Well, that tape pop magazine. I love the tape pop magazine. I know you get to endorse something here, but it's free. Yeah. You can see yeah. it online, but they'll still send you the paper version. Tapeop.com. Yeah, and it, it's there. You know, lots and lots of great stories about how people got through the the hook. <laughs> you know, right. So, so you did a whole like. There's so much work you did there. Um, would you and say? Calvin, Calvin brought a bunch of bands over. That was part of it too. Oh, Calvin did he? Brought, yeah, Calvin brought Girl Trouble over. Oh, Calvin right brought on. Some Sidewalk over. Calvin was co-producing at that point. He didn't want to see his name on the record, but Calvin made records happen there. So right on. Besides the Beat Happening record, there's a lot of other K catalog that were just things that he wanted to make happen in Ellensburg because he thought it was a cool place to work. Well, that's awesome. Now, what made you go from there to Seattle? What was the impetus to go to Seattle? Um. My girlfriend at the time was a serious painter, and mm -hmm. she was from Winthrop. Oh, yes. Very pretty. Yeah. Yeah, it's very pretty. It's <laughs> the middle of nowhere. It's still the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. uh, still <laughs> can't quite get out of there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so Ellensburg was a bigger town, but she wanted to be a, she. She was really into Anselm Kiefer. Anselm Kiefer, a wonderful modern German guy, German expressionist guy that did gigantic canvases that had collage elements that were it was very, very ambitious work. And so she was doing uh, really wild, crazy, big stuff and and uh, and gave up on it. God bless her. She, she's doing some other stuff now. And she's, yeah, but but she wanted to move to Seattle. And so we moved to Seattle. And for me, it was like. No, no. <laughs> All my friends moved there. They've got shitty jobs testing video games for Microsoft. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, you know. There's an old Jamaican song: "A uh, knife, a fork, a bottle, and a cork." New York. You know? New York. <laughs> <laughs> that Seattle was just, it was always too easy. There was too much money being made up here. It was everybody's too happy. Everybody's too wealthy. That's where the word yuppie came from. You know, it's like no, no Seattle, no. And it was like. 1989. No, I don't want to go to Seattle. A horrible <laughs> place for music. I'll hate it. <laughs> so you got dragged there by a lady. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. Is that when you guys lived above, what's the cafe we always talk about? Cyclops? Cyclops. Actually, I lived directly next door to Cyclops. Okay, yeah. There was a whole... Um, At the same size space. Exactly the same size space as Cyclops. One space. Wow, that's okay. huge. 
Yeah. When you could, right? Like when you could, 89 mm-hmm. or prior to that. Um, $300 a month. Yeah, nobody wanted to live there in 89. So, no. Yeah. Well, bonus. so much of Seattle, the warehouse area, everything that is the Google, Amazon corridor or whatever was nothing but warehouses and yeah. cheap, cheap, cheap rent everywhere. Um, I moved to Seattle in 85 to go to school. So I went to the UW and then got into band. So like 89. So Hammerbox started in 89 and um, uh, cheap rent. Oh, my God, like $300 apartments, you know what I mean? Which which is why it makes it um a reason to never go there again right now. <laughs> it just It's not the Seattle that it was that we're talking about right now. Um, I mean, that's what helped the creative movement, though, at the time. It was like it was cheap. There was a lot oh, of people. Yeah. There was a lot of cool stuff going on. It's like totally. it just fostered space that space to breathe. Yeah. yeah. A fecund environment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I always I think the thing, too, is like on the one hand, people could say like, oh, you know, nobody would come here and you know, play shows. And I'm like, yeah, that's the best time to make things is when nobody's looking and you're mad about it. Or, you know, there's a lot of bitter things are made out of angst and, Mm -hmm. and bitterness, but it was, you're right. It was affordable. Like I could be a barista and be in a band and have an apartment, you know, or, or work in a restaurant. And, and it was also movable. Like, you know, you could navigate the city one on foot Mm -hmm. um, or bikes easily. I mean, I would just remember having, experienced, lived in, participated in all parts of the city. Right. And you'd kind of, I think at that age too, you'd, you know, you'd want to seek out the place that nobody else goes to. Like I had a circle of friends who were way into like for real taverns where, you know, <laughs> it's, you know, like we're guys who actually older men who actually are alcoholics are hanging out. There's a pool table. Like that was a cool thing. Like I want to go find the spot that no one's going to. Find the worst like, dive bar. Yeah. Sure. The worst dive bar. The place where dangerous. livers go to die. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, when you're 21, 22, whatever, 23, you're, you know, you're just you don't think you're going to, you know, your liver can take it at the time, I guess. Um, and there was like the night. I mean, the show is the nightlife, but all that stuff, but all the bars. And but you could you know what I mean? Like it wasn't crowded. Mm-hmm. You could walk the city and, and I'm and then you'd have places that you hung out like I lived. I've lived all over the city, but there was sort of a Capitol Hill time for me. And then there was Pioneer Square and Pioneer Square. You you hung out in Pioneer Square, but Western. So it ended up at the Cyclops because it was a cool. Right. Nobody had any money. So you could have a cup of coffee for four hours and nobody would like yell at you because you're like, I can only afford this in the funky, healthy salad. The people that ran that restaurant, they're just like me. They weren't, you know, they wanted, they were just happy to be having a place with the door open and. Yeah, uh, they're still there. They're making money now. That's Cyclops. They're up on first now. But. Yeah, are they? Yeah, they're still yeah. around. Oh yeah, that's right. They've got the uh, right. Ace Hotel like upstairs or wherever now, which used to be the Bum Hotel. Yeah, it yep. brought all the you know the homeless people, the disenfranchised people. I'm sorry, Bum maybe doesn't work anymore. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but yeah, so now it's like much. a highbrow <laughs> art hotel converted. You know, yes. So. Oh, that one corner down there, it had our building that was a half-assed artist cooperative with the Cyclops downstairs. Uh, the uh, mission, which drew people from all over the city, even after it closed, it still kept drawing people on autopilot. Oh, and then, yeah. And then Nasty Mix Records was right there. Nasty Mix yep. Records was in that yep. office right off of that P-Stained Alley. Yes. Uh, and uh, God, all kinds of shit was going on. I mean, that was all just in spinning distance. And then Sub Pop was around the corner, you know. Right. And, you know, so, so yeah. It so was much like, fun. Well, the point of it was, is I could go have lunch at the Cyclops and I could tell you who was playing that night because 
Oh, right. Sonic Youth's here. Oh, Michael Stipe is here. Oh, right. the replacements are here. Oh, Demi Moore is here. Oh, Sylvester Stallone is here. Ah, <laughs> yeah. It's like your worst nightmare. But it, it, you're right. It was like that. But it, that was really, I mean, depending on how you look at it, that was really fun. You know, like you could, it just felt navigatable, if that's the word. Mm-hmm. Um, walkable. It was a, a walkable. Walk it was a good playground. Capitol Hill to downtown. Yeah. You could walk from Queen Anne to downtown. I mean, that's. Kind of yeah, I mean, the yeah. metro was still, I think, free downtown then. So you get on the bus yeah. and you could ride it for free. Yeah. And, oh, or yes. you gave the system because you knew where the uh, – that was still when you could get on or get off and it would, it would, it would charge you, I think, differently. Yeah, right at a certain point, yeah. So you knew. Yes. You're like, well, I can ride through here until they switch it, and then it's free to get off the bus. <laughs> Queen Anne Hill, you could take the monorail into town. Right. Yeah. I used to take the monorail to work. It was ridiculous. Right. <laughs> yeah. We've we've moved backwards somehow in transportation <laughs> quite significantly. Yeah. I gotta say, I feel very, very lucky to have experienced Seattle at that time. Like I got to explore the city, do art, meet amazing people, um, comfortably. I mean, it came with all the angst of that age or whatever, but um in terms of experience, I would much rather have my experience than whatever the twenty year olds are experiencing today. But that's me, right? Like yeah. they're for what sure. people are interested in they're doing and how life is, is, is different. So it's kind of a moot point, but, um, well, especially right now, it's like my, uh, we, they have the internet. So <laughs> we didn't have the internet at the time, you know, <laughs> but, um, but there was, it's just a ripe, ripe for possibilities. And that's a great feeling. Mm-hmm. That's a feeling I love. Yeah. No, no. I mean, powerful. now, I mean, I was talking to some younger, younger people that were trying to bring back the word yuppie. Mm-hmm. And and I was going well, but no one's young and no one's upwardly mobile. I'm mm-hmm. going, oh well, you should come down to, you know, Lake Washington. And it's like, I mean, no, you don't understand. No one, a third of the world is out of work. You know, oh we, right, we, yeah, we're in Jello. We're frozen right now. There is no mobility. There's no upward mobility at all. Yes, you know, the people we could complain about are going to make money off of this, but but as far as a world that's open to young people that want to invest in, in, in being um, greedy mm-hmm. like a caterpillar yeah. you know yeah. a young caterpillar <laughs> don't got a chance in this world you know? a young caterpillar ain't got no chance that's, you know? game and that's okay them. caterpillars eat a lot and they turn into cocoons <laughs> and they turn into butterflies it's all good well, nothing wrong maybe, with a caterpillar but you know it's maybe they just need to learn a whole an old lesson like a new lesson like why do you want all that crap why don't you start making some cool shit you don't need anything to do that you know what I mean? Like maybe it's a whole new paradigm they need to reacquaint themselves with that is awesome. Yeah, but see, that sounds like tired old hippie shit to me. That doesn't sound new. <laughs> I, never con- like I would never consider me. myself hippie ever in my lifetime. Man, like, but- you don't need that shit, man. I know. You don't I need do- this yeah. stuff, man. What are you what are you wasting your time for, man? <laughs> but <laughs> I can do something real while you're on the planet, breathing air with two feet <laughs> on the ground, man. <laughs> you sound like Mark Marin right now. <laughs> oh, sorry. I was trying to sound like Dennis Hopper, but that's good. Oh, either one. I love it. Either one. But you know what? As much as like we may knee jerk hate it, I'm like in the like, so I'm 53, right? I'm like, oh, crap. A lot of this is true. Like, you know, like call it what you will. I'm like, oh, revisiting like sim- simple pleasures and whatever actually seems pretty right. Like mm-hmm. oh, um, no, po- post no. experiences, you know, like. I, I, I don't believe in anything, and I hate when the Bible starts to make sense, but when I see these, you know, nutcases with no masks running around harassing hospitals, 
you know, oh, breathing yeah. in each other's air and all this. This was in the book of Revelations, but oh they God. were Jews and they disappeared underneath Mount Sinai to await the tribulation. You know, right. <laughs> like, like there is this giant part of the population that's removing itself right now. That was in Revelations. And I yeah. barely read the Bible, but I can tell you that happened. <laughs> you know? So I didn't the- see these shapes move around. I'm like, damn. Yeah. Bible yeah. true. Well, yeah. it's just the history yeah. repeats itself, you know, the, the, yeah. the Bible. Oh my God. Probably some of those stories were predictive. Prophecy. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Um, funny, I was listening to Split Ends History Never Repeats. That's funny this morning. <laughs> okay, so that's sidebar. <laughs> sidebar. Um, okay, well, let's get back to your history and stories because there's so much I want to talk about too, like Pigeon Head. And um, so, so you're there. So, you know, while you're there, like you've produced like Nirvana, Soundgarden, um, uh, mud honey, mud honey, like who else? Or screaming trees, beat happening, most of the unwound records, the gits, um, you know, just locally. I mean, but there's a lot of. I mean, I could keep naming the local stuff till we get into details. Nobody knows, but that was the point: is that that because I was I was making because I made records for these bands when they were just starting out, and that the bands went on to be promising commercially. That's how I got a manager and I started doing the big deal work. And that's the first time I found out I couldn't work for Kerry Ackery because you were potentially going to make so much money for A&M records. Yeah. And we saw how that worked out. (laughs) By the way, this is on video, but I'm flipping off A&M records right here. Herb Albert. Yeah. Some would say I did that to myself, but the thing that that young people aren't taught and, or some people know, I, I give more ambitious I guess you'd call them smarter. I don't know. Um, you know, I just, I wasn't raised. I don't know. I just didn't know, or I certainly was, I don't know what I wasn't, but when Hammerbox was on A&M, we had a two record deal. And when I left Hammerbox, I don't, you know, like I didn't, I could have been, I think a lot more business savvy and gotten a lawyer and a manager and worked the crap out of that. But I didn't, I just went on my own to LA and was like, hi everybody, you know, and, and that business doesn't wait for that kind of thing, you know? It's business, well, and I would they, say they eat people like you and Mark Lanigan up for breakfast. They they just see. Oh God, yeah. yeah I mean, that's yeah. their whole business model. It seems like is to just yeah get the talent. We got chew this. Them up, we know throw them away. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's imperative to have the business um, team around you, and mm-hmm. I mean, we were told that, but at twenty three, I didn't have like the fortitude that I'd say other artists did, like Lady Gaga or somebody, or or even dare I say Courtney Love, but. Um, uh, but they were smart enough to know, like, it's a fucking business and I want this. So I'm going to go fight and I'm going to get the things I need. They were. But that's, you know, and uh, I went for years at, you know, as time went on, the managers who were great either got busy with their multi-billionaire bands or they burn out. So I felt like every time I went down a road of looking for a manager, someone's like, yeah, I can't. I quit or it can't help you. I'm busy or whatever. And so it was frustrating. It was very frustrating. Um, and you don't feel like as an artist, I, I didn't feel like as an artist that like I had bad timing. Um, I think David Anderley was literally retiring. He was our advocate. The person who had A&R person who had signed us had gotten let go. Like there was no one in the corner to be like, I'm sorry, what was your name again? Like you're an art, ugh, you know what I mean? You were so disposable. For the kids um, listening, for the kids listening, um, A&R's leaving is the kiss of death for anybody. The A&R mm-hmm. is the person that brought you into the label. The A&R is the person that translates you 
to the label. And so when the A&R gets a better job, which a good A&Rs always get a better job, <laughs> then you're alone and all of a sudden you're in somebody's family and you don't belong there. You and know? they don't care and they yeah. will toss you on the street. Well, and they just have a lot of great questions like, how did you get here? Refresh right. memory. Yeah. <laughs> terrifying. As an artist, it's terrifying because you're literally feeling the ground dissolve under your feet. And you realize you're like, oh, it's just a matter of time and I'm done or we'll be drowning. So, you know what I mean? Like I'm off the island. <laughs> a useless story where I'm not going to name names because I still work in this business. But I did a record for a band that was very, very promising and should have been huge. And they had a very important A&R. And the junkie guitar player in the band said, OK, we're going to sign with your label, the big mm -hmm. label, promise me. But if you fucking leave, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to find you and I'm going to fucking kill you. And of course, that guy just became a heroin addict and got kicked out of the band and the NR left. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you and just the can't stop the wave. Yeah. And I could say the name of the band and everybody would say who. So it doesn't matter. But the yeah. point of it is, is that like that's that's a realized scenario. The A&R yeah. guy, you know, the A&R men that are on the side of the band don't last it's you pretty know. regular. You're right. It's pretty regular. Like that wouldn't be the thing I'd rely on. I would rely on a lawyer and a really good manager. <laughs> well, and, 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 and just, and work with A&R people, you know, but understand yeah. that's what they do. Of course, we're talking about like, there's a music industry. There isn't a music industry. This is in the yeah late eighties, right? Nineties. Yeah. So, um, it was, and like you just said, you're like, at some point, the landscape changed and got huge, right? The whole grunge era bands, you know, a handful of bands got huge, you know, like uh, Nirvana and Soundgarden, Pearl Jam. Um, they were entering levels of popularity that were gigantic, like the whole landscape exploded, you know, for, and I don't really want to go into the whole grunge era, but um, it changes how you had to do business, right? You had to get, a, you know, a manager and all of that. And, um and I love, again, I love talking about your path because then there's like, the mo it's huge, right? But it is long distance running in music, right? Because it doesn't necessarily for a time that that ends too. And then something else happens. But um, you, you were doing all of that huge work. And then when did Pigeonhead start? So like, you're not only producing, but then you have your own musical works as well. Well, here's. Uh, yeah, um, that that's a simple mathematical equation. Uh, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I've told the story so many times I can break it down to five. Seconds. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. No, it's fine. I don't apologize because it doesn't make any sense. Uh, but back when I didn't care about, or I, let's say back when I didn't really have an understanding about how things worked, I was having a grand time sampling things and making music out of it in 1980, 81, 82. Mm -hmm. I did that in a living room. I didn't have a sampler. I had tape machines. I cut tape loops for other people who would be making loops inside a sampler. And um, and I'm expecting it will all get taken down, uh, but you can find it. It's all on Spotify because I made a bunch of cassette compilations. Calvin made a compilation of the cassette compilations. And nice. through Strictly Canadian that all got published on Spotify. <laughs> so you can't find anything else I've done except for the Soundgarden remixes and one Pell-Mell record and then all this screwy sampler intensive crazy shit on Spotify. So I look like the coolest guy in the world like, man, he's well, driven we and he made all this weird shit. Well, else? nothing. He hasn't done anything, you know. So so these... <laughs> we're going to have links to that, by the way. Oh, yeah. we're gonna yeah, like, so, you so know. We should have, have links. It's, it's called Over and Through the Night. And 
And just to talk about myself, there was a concept going on here where the uh, um, the first record was uh, uh, Kiss This Day Goodbye, and then the next record was Over and Through the Night, and then the next record was Till the Night Closes In, and then 448 Deathless Days. So they were alternating day, nights, and also quoting oh. horrible pop songs at the same time. <laughs> uh, terrible pop songs, you know. When you said to the night rolls, I was like, oh, I know that song. Yeah. Well, I know that song because they sampled the minister. It's, oh, no. Yeah, really? Listen to that song. I'm going to kiss you all over and over again. I'm going to kiss you all over till the night closes in. Till the night closes in. You know, it's just it's so libidinous and terrible. Okay, that's going on the record, you know. So anyway. Boom. Uh, but, the, but, but anyway, let's, let's cut away real quick. So I have this lost career in copyright infringement. And and uh, <laughs> and and Bruce Pavitt uh, tried to make a Jesse Bernstein record by having Jesse play at a prison, and it didn't really work out the way they thought it would. So they asked me to do some settings for some of his poetry, and that became the prison record. Oh wow! And and people need to know about Jesse Bernstein as Jesse well. Jesse Bernstein, God, yeah. yeah. We'll Jesse put links Bird. to all that too. There's there's yeah. going to be basically a library of things people could go down rabbit holes. There's now a Jesse Bernstein. There's now Jesse Bernstein archive at the U where you can go and see his written work oh. up there. Sunday, That's great. A wonderful punk rock archivist, which we have wonderful punk rock librarians and archivists making all of this happen while we're doing podcasts and everything else. Yeah, punk rockers are have day jobs out there administering oh, yeah. media all over America. It's a beautiful Thank thing. Thank goodness. Yeah. Yes, but uh, Bernstein in a sense was Seattle's William Burroughs was Seattle's Bukowski and mm -hmm. he opened for lots of rock shows. So he's big friends in the rock community. And he would read his blood and guts poetry. Blah, 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 blah. So I got to produce in the biggest sense of in a Hal Wilner sense, we just lost Hal recently. I got to produce a record and that every single flick thing on there was something that I put together because Jesse was dead and yeah. I was finishing the record after he passed. The point was, is that I'd already done demos with Sean Smith before that where Sean you know, was uh, programming everything and didn't really know what I was good at. Mm -hmm. Once he'd heard the Bernstein record, he said, oh, fuck, you're right. good at making beats. <laughs> I'm John Smith. And Jonathan uh, was involved in that too. Jonathan actually introduced us to each other based on all this shit. So he made, with the Jesse Bernstein as a point of inspiration with the, the prison record, uh, we went off to make the first Pigeonhead record. Do you know what we should a lot of other inspirations as well, but but that was kind of my role in Pigeonhead was I was the guy that was going to make cool drums. And, you know. Is it there a link to a poster of how everyone's connected to everyone in the grunge era? Like I swear to God, there, there is. There and was I was like, one, we should yeah. post that. Wasn't yeah, there yeah. like it became useless years ago? Yeah, did it? Like, well, like, I just think with like, like Sean Smith, the Old Testament, it became useless years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, just to like emphasize, like. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like Sean Smith had already been working with what he was in because he knew Stone Gossard and all those guys, Regan and all those guys. Had they had Satchel already or yep. they'd been in bands together? Satchel was originally Bliss. And that was what? Little baby. Saying hi to someone in the background. Oh, <laughs> no. Do you want to say hi? Not to derail, oh, maybe. But there's a, there's a little, there's a little short person. He just took a bath and he had a rough time. Hi. Hello. Hi, baby. That's Steve's grandson. He's brought in us. He brought us a bowl of crust. 
Uh, looks this like some cars. We got a duck. Oh, a duck. Ooh. A duck that he saved from an alligator that was biting its head off. Nice, nice. I love it. I'm a big fan of the dinosaur shirt there. And then we got a truck. Ooh. And another duck. It's all wet. This has got soap on it still. Yeah. <laughs> Look at this. And then this one's dripping water. That's very nice. <laughs> cars work you better. You got good stuff. He's way. got good yeah. stuff there. Yeah. Oh, he's got a lot of cars. But very he's got nice. trucks. What kind of trucks do you like? Do you like trucks? What kind of trucks do you like, Crispin? He's creating sculpture right now. Mm-hmm. He's showing off for you. I love it. He's got a little crown on the duck. <laughs> this is when everyone really needs the visual. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. you know. Should Crispin recorded the video. Too, uh, Barry just turned two uh, a couple months ago. Turned two. Oh, two such a good age. So yeah. we basically got the producer and the sculptor in the room right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the tender. I'm taking care of things. Very nice. Do I have something for you? Let's see. Um, what can I give you? Would you like this? Sure. Very. <laughs> Just don't poke an eye out. Don't fall down on it. He's got a pie stringer, honey. <laughs> Things we never think about. We all fell down a lot, but uh... <laughs> no, especially now. The, the COVID thing and all of that is always like, oh, where's the easiest thing? Is this going to be good for the grandkid or bad for the grandkid? Right. Well, we don't need to go to the hospital for any reason. Yeah, you want to avoid the hospital these days. Yeah. Think, okay, we were that. talking. <laughs> yeah, I, I do too. <laughs> I have a sidebar on that. Um, but because I have sort of lost my mind for a while, as, as gals can sometimes, I think, buy too many shoes and then buy shoes that are platforms. And I'm like, the last thing you need to do is twist an ankle on these <laughs> stupid shoes. Take them back. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I had a familiar fracture on one leg because I was wearing oh, shoes. Mm-mm, I dropped the FBT head because I was moving it with the wrong shoes. <laughs> Right. So note for everyone. There yeah. you go. That's your health yeah, note. Shoes are very yeah, that important. was the, that was how I got through the glam thing. That's how I got out of glam is that they wouldn't <laughs> let me carry anything anymore because I had those horrible shoes on and was fair enough. Hard to move an SVT head around and all of that. <laughs> Good plan. Uh, all but right. Anyway, so, Sean so, Smith. Yeah. So Sean Smith uh, uh, was just kind of coming into his own in Seattle. He moved to Seattle with the cassette of some He's demos and stuff. I'm going to close yeah. the door. Just to. Yeah. Well, and Sean Smith's voice was um, so beautiful. We oh, yeah. we lost Sean Smith last yeah. year, which is sad, um, but just such a soulful voice. And so he had come. Yes, right. And where did he come from? What I thought he was born in Seattle, but did he come from somewhere else. Like he was born up here in. Well, I don't know if he was born up here, but he lived up here as a kid, and mm-hmm. that's from Spokane, whole... if I remember correctly. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, but he grew up in Bakersfield. Okay. That's right. That's right. That's right. So he was up and he was, he had a, so did you meet him through Bruce? Is that what you said? No, through Jonathan. Jonathan. Okay. Nice. You remember Faith Henschel? I know that name. He was the station manager at KCMU. I'm sure. I'm and sure. He, I know. Um, he worked for Electra in the nineties. And uh, was one of the most original wave of uh, of uh, kind of uh, indie like administrative that. people that got sucked into major label jobs. That was another part of the yeah. Thing, is that that uh, 
if your label didn't take off, you ended up with a really groovy job uh, at a record. Right. Company. Right. Exactly. I'm pretty sure Faith was at Electra or Capital. I'm trying to remember, uh, but she was there for a long time, and she uh, I think she's working with her husband at a vineyard. She, she's got Lovely. a wine in Northern California that she's dealing with now. Mm. And all that. anyway, she was the first person that John uh, that that Sean met. Uh huh. And she's the person that gave Jonathan the tape. Nice. And mind you, this is a tape Sean had made quietly singing into a four track in his bedroom. <laughs> in, you know, so this 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 giant thing that Sean Smith started off as a guy playing piano. <laughs> that makes sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> totally. When did you finally guys start forming like Pigeon Head then? Was it pretty quick after that? Uh, well, like I said, we, I did the demos for him in 90, 91. Okay. And, uh, and so we, that was all buttoned up and he actually got a deal, uh, uh, a deal, uh, development deal with CVS. Back when CVS was going to sign Sub Pop. Do you remember that? Oh, wow. Yeah. Kids, you can put this in your book. Actually, if you go get the book Hitman, the dirty yeah. stories inside the music industry and turn to page 285 at the bottom left-hand corner. There's a little tiny notice about when Sub Pop was almost a Columbia record label instead of a Warner Brothers record label. Whoa. And Columbia was going to sign Sub Pop and all the bands were going to get, you know, this was standard. This is how major labels took over small labels. It was fine. Right. Sub Pop wanted to do it, but uh, right. it, didn't, it didn't come together. But anyway, out of that, Sean got a deal doing, you know, mainstream r&b stuff and uh okay. that never came together and so pigeonette happened i guess in because yeah. sean was just looking for things to happen and and uh and yeah he was playing with regan and those two other guys in bliss and that mm -hmm. that became satchel and and bliss i don't know god this is just boring what, what do you mean well this is interesting shit to me the details i'm getting into but because by in 1991 yeah uh, a young band in Seattle moving to Sub Pop, getting signed to a label was already such a cliche right. that that, that uh, people were following Bliss around before they were even Satchel because they knew they were going to be famous and the singer right. with Jonathan Poneman. So we want to get a picture of Jonathan hanging with Sean, even though they're not on Sub Pop, but they might be on Sub Pop. We don't right. know yet because it's all so new. And right. They weren't even Satchel yet. You know, I think people, that's a really good thing to point out that that you know, the, the feeling of the time was by 91 tons of bands are getting signed. I think Hammerbox was signed in Soundgarden was signed. Yeah. Games were signed. And so you're right. If people thought, oh, Supergroup is forming or some group, you're like, oh, I'm going to follow that because that's definitely going to get it was so prevalent. Well, and this was I think it was a Seattle uh the weekly or one of the, the newspapers, but the point of it was is that they missed, you know, they they right. missed this whole thing happening underneath them. So this time they were going to get it. And so they, <laughs> they they hung on like a tick to Brad. I meant to, 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 to Bliss to find out what's going to happen with Bliss. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, see, isn't that crazy? That's crazy yeah. to me. So well, you guys show up at a club. This guy was there and wanted to talk to him. And <laughs> oh my god, that's there's so much crazy frenzy. There's so much crazy frenzy going on, I think, at that time worse. as well. It got it, worse. And it got worse, yes. Yeah. And then it got kind of gross and sad. Um, uh, but you guys put together stuff and had, um, to this day, like, songs that are global. I know, Ryan, you were looking to ask some questions, too, yeah. around Pigeonhead. Well, it's kind of funny because, like, you, is, 
almost regret that my introduction to Sean was through Battle Flag, you know, which was like this huge hit. But it wasn't your that guys. Was our hit. That, yeah. That's not a problem. That was our hit. Yeah. I mean, it's a great song. And it's funny because like, I think I heard it, obviously, the remix first, because I think that's how everybody heard it. Like, yeah, about like, a thousand was, to one. Yeah. That was what people heard. Yeah. But I like the original now better, personally. <laughs> I think it's a, a nice view. To it's like it's a, it's a nicer it's a nicer sounding <laughs> of like the, the lyrics at least you know it's like his singing comes through so much better you know it's not like this yeah. this like pop song in the same sense yeah uh, but yeah yeah, yeah. I, I think it was like a CMJ Andrew, CD Andrew, that I got Andrew. in the mail is where I first heard the song and I was like oh this song's really good <laughs> very yeah. lucky to have that remix very glad it happened mm-hmm. made a lot of money for me and Sean so when I say shitty things about the remix it's only because there are shitty things involved in that we don't need to get into that today mm-hmm. right right all right fair enough yes yeah. we could go down rabbit holes like this but i'm a very very all lucky day long guy. very very yeah. lucky guy that who met sean very very lucky guy who had some pop put those records out even though there's some grief there ask questions you can ask questions i don't let me talk <laughs> what, well, what do you want to know what do you want to know what did you want to know about sean what do you want to know about fishing in well you were more talking about that song yeah I mean, and, intro I, to it. and I guess that's yeah, basically how I. But then that's what led me down the rabbit hole of like learning more and learning more about what Pigeonhead and finding more Pigeonhead music, and then like learning more about like Sean's music and stuff like that. So you know, it's just kind of it was nice that 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 happened because it did lead down this great discovery path of like other really yeah. cool stuff. Um, so Brad's the same yeah. way. People give meet Sean through Brad, and then they find out about Satchel and all those great records. Sure, I could see that. Yeah, Pigeonhead, and, and all, then all, all the, interconnected. The, well, and the solo stuff, too. Uh, lots and lots of solo stuff. You know, uh, Stone's got that studio down in Fremont, and Sean made a lot of music there that um, actually hasn't come out. So right. uh, that, that might will. be a groovy, groovy thing moving forward is that there's, uh, I think, a big pile of Sean music that uh, I think he woke up every morning and started a song with somebody. Right. <laughs> so That'll be so exciting. Well, and it'd be so cool because people miss him so much. The people yeah. know, love Sean so much. He was just, yeah. uh, and 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 you were talking about Seattle history. You can't talk about Seattle history without talking about Tower Records. Because who worked oh, at Tower yeah. Records? Sean Smith worked at Tower Records. Who worked? Yeah. At, Regan worked at Tower Records. Mike Wansley, you know, uh, Mike Wansley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What? Uh, <laughs> Eastern Washington. He, I recorded Mike Wansley's band in '87, but yeah, you know, he, he, you know, he had the big hit. You know, um, I love, I love the and all that stuff. And then Lanigan was in the basement. And oh, really? I, yeah. So, so, so the, the the connections and the interactions are just amazing. I, just I read, love. I just listened to a podcast with Lanigan, and he was going off about what a nice guy Sean Smith was. How Sean Smith was always groovy to him, and I was going, where did they run into each other when? Our records and the U. Uh, you know? Yes, that's what I was just gonna say. I loved the U Dub Tower Records. Yeah, it was the best. So like, many of my friends uh, worked there too. It's like it definitely was a, a hot spot for a long yes. time. Yes, and we don't have record stores anymore. Sad. I know. Ah, shucks. It's like, like not having good bookstores. We lose when we lose that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, like I love a good bookstore too. Like old old bookstores are places mm-hmm. you can go get lost in um or nice but i was gonna say like steve is the first time we ever worked together was when i came in with um reggie and ohm and um riz to do backgrounds on glory bound on glory bound on the second pigeon head record yeah i think that was and the first time i've told you the story about for me like that was one of the best experiences i ever had um the singing with those folks 
because I love gospel. Like I do, you know, like everybody's got their type of music that really touches them. And not that I've sang so much gospel, but just like hearing it is always, I usually break out in tears, (laughs) but singing, it was a gospel um, uh, background. It was the group of us all singing to um, glory, singing glory bound in a lines that Shauna wrote. And it was so emotionally powerful to me that I almost burst into tears, but I was, <laughs> I didn't want to not look cool. <laughs> so I didn't cry. But if I would have allowed my natural state, I would have probably been sobbing just like l- out of love. You know what I mean? Just sort of like, cause it was such a beautiful feeling yeah, to, so those, to have those, that. There's, there's, um, those two tracks are amazing. Glory yeah. Down, fire's coming down. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. And well, so big. And so like, how did it get this big? You know, right. how, did, how did, how did this happen? You know, this is just gigantic. I, I was, I was blown away. Well, that's so- what I love about collaboration. Like to me, it can be feel like such a waste given all the talent around or around then to not collaborate, like just with all the kinds of talent, it's one of the best experiences and beauty chances for beauty. That's um, prevalent here. I mean, even to this day, um, but it didn't happen so often. And that's a big thing for me. I think going into the future, um, something I'm going to work on from that point of view, like just to have a sure, powerful overwhelming emotional experience with musicians is lucky right like lucky and a gift like um i it's wish it happened when it gets recorded when it gets recorded oh yeah so that's, i, I want to be lucky. <laughs> you know? yeah i want to be creating more that's one of the commitments to myself is to i will go make those things and make those things happen for myself with other people because selfishly I want those experiences um, in life in general. But um, yeah, like just beautiful music. So like, so after the whole grunge like thing, I mean, you've always worked. I mean, you're still doing um, a ton of work. Yeah. Like always looking to talk to people that want to work. I'm I'm always looking to meet people. I'm always looking to stay busy. It's yeah. more like I'm a caterpillar. I'm still eating all the time. You know, I, I still want to keep learning new stuff and, you know. I mean, have you ever not been busy? Like, I don't remember a time you weren't. There are always times when you wish you were busier. And okay. back when there was a music industry, there was a doldrum uh, in between November and February. that was always rough to, to work through. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah. For everyone. Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, I've always been busy. And always been working. Maybe sometimes I haven't been paid as much as I wanted to be paid. Sure. You know, but yeah. like I said that became, that was a low priority going into it. So I can't really blame anybody for that. So yeah, I'm always, I'm always working. If I'm not working, I'm not very happy. I like working. And right. It shatters. It uh, silences the, sh- the chattering monkey, you know? Well, and you have new management right now, right? Like yeah, y- you have new management who are, well, who is, an awesome heartfelt soul person who's an artist themselves. Yeah, so Steven. what, yeah. Yeah. What is that like to work with somebody like that? Like, so as an artist yourself, it must feel amazing. I think maybe I'm still in, I know I'm still in search of it. Like to have a good manager, like. Um, <laughs> it's interesting. I've had, I think four or five managers over a 25 year period, mm-hmm. about one every five years or something. Uh, Brody, is great. I mean, he takes care of the stuff that lets me just keep working on music and he understands what I'm good at. 
and uh, and about half of what we're doing is working on uh, you know the Grumps and uh, mm-hmm. this other uh, rapper working with Pez. So there's a couple of records where I'm working more as a programmer, as, a, as an artist and a player, and and uh, those are that's about half the business that I do with Brody, and it's it's really fun. It's really that, cool yeah. Stuff. That is really fun. I'm excited for the stuff that we're going to do. So He's um, a great rapper. Am I allowed to say that? Brody is a really good rapper. People, people don't know that about yeah. him. He's kind of inside um, the hip-hop community here in Seattle, and he's got you know some tracks on some things he's done and, and all that, but he's actually worked harder making things happen for other people than he has for himself. Does he love that? I think so. Yeah. That's- it's a good place to come from. And, and he's good at it, you know, unlike me. So. Right, right. I mean, that's such a gift. Um, I think I still need to talk to him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, things have, it's so funny. Like, I've known you for a really long time and, and you know, having our own experiences watching the landscape change. And now we both live in Tacoma. Um, selfishly, I'm very like, yep, I don't need to go anywhere now. I got Steve here. <laughs> I can do my own music. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, well, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so yeah. happy to be here. And it's so great to be making music with you. And we've got projects like you and I and Harris from Hammerbox are doing a little um, project. And then, um, I'm starting to write new stuff and, and it's interesting. It's been fun to talk about different ways of doing music. Like instead of, um, instead of doing a whole record, like doing singles, you know, because what I've realized is like, I just want to be working. You know what I mean? Like I want to, I want to, um, I want to still get to record. And if, if, if the money's not there to do a whole record, I'm like, well, there isn't. And, and maybe the landscape kind of, it works better in this landscape to do like a single at a time. Right. So then it's like, great. It's all over with everything that we knew, all the reasons for making an album is gone. All the reasons for, um, having a band have changed, Mm -hmm. you know, and many of them are gone. Uh, we are in this, we're in a clean, clean slate right now. And, uh, uh, someone like you, uh, to borrow a term for the internet, you're a long-term content provider. <laughs> and it's a great place Ooh. to be. It's a great yeah. place to be. Yeah. I know your position. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, well, I think it's, you can do that best too, when you really have a self agreement saying, I, I write what I write. Right. And these are my stories. And I have chosen to use music to write stories. And then I like to share them whether or not anybody else likes them or not. Like I, I'm going to choose to just be me because otherwise you can get in territory of like hoping somebody likes what you do. And that starts to, um, um, dissolve the fact, you know, it's precarious to get into that kind of mindset. Um, I don't really care because it's taken me a long time to solidify my reasons why, you know, like when I joined Hammerbox, I was 23 and things were going fast. I didn't really take the time to stop and go, how do you like this? Like, how's it working for you? Why are you doing this again? Like, why are you sure you like music? And so, you know, in later years, I've, I've actually had to stop and go, you're either going to decide you don't care and stop. Like if that's true, or you need to go solidify, uh, spend time with yourself and, and commit under understand and find out, do you still want to do this and why and have to find your why, you know what I mean? And, and be honest um, and so for me, I'm like, I like that I get to, I love 
I like recording. I like getting to collaborate with musicians. It is just a pleasure that I'm not, I don't want to give up. I'm not going to. Like whether anybody hears it or cares or likes it or not, I'm happy. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and the real beauty of this time we're in right now is that, um, you know, we all know what somebody sounds like in a room with no production, Mm -hmm. except kids nowadays, some damn kids nowadays. And so now they're getting to see a crash course. In no, oh, no production. Here's the, here's the person you love, and they yeah. love you. Then they're going to do a song for you in their fucking living room on Facebook. And mm-hmm. there's no right. production, and you get to hear their voice, and you get to hear their mistakes. And uh, and, and for me, this is like 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 this is like the last cherry on the cake, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, of, of my punk rock dystopian revolution, you know, <laughs> where, where all all of the labels are gone. And the only people on labels are making silly pop music, which is how it should be. And the indie diaspora music is free. There's no gatekeepers. Everybody gets to do whatever they fucking want to do, whatever they fucking want to do. And mm-hmm. now, uh, because of the shelter in place, we get to see what people look like in their fucking living rooms making music for people they give a shit about. Yeah, right. I've, been, I've been really oh, impressed a, by like Ben Gibbard's been doing like a Facebook. Ben Gibbard's thing is amazing, and it's it? so good. Yeah, and it's just yeah. like I love it. Like I'm, I've been enjoying I've it been so much. I've been talking with Ben Gibbard about his shows on YouTube, and I've been telling him about Steve Naive's shows <laughs> on YouTube, which are also amazing. Yeah. I interrupted you, but but yes, exactly. Yeah, I want more of that. Like, quite honestly, yeah. I'm like, that's what yeah. this is what I like. <laughs> I want to see Oasis in the living room with no yeah. problem. <gasps> oh, <laughs> oh, my God. I would love that. You know? Yes. Because you know, I was... they love everyone. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see that Do they raw. Love themselves? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if they're there yet again. Yeah. You know. Well, I think if this connects people back to um, appreciating the artists, right? And their storytelling just as and is. And the voice. And the mm-hmm. fucking voice. Yeah, right. Like, right. The, this is why and, it's important because that's a singer, asshole. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I was telling somebody today, I said, um, I said, uh, and you could, Steve, you can tell me if I'm wrong. This, as I, and Ryan, like, if this doesn't sound, mom's like, in the 60s, it felt like the musicians, like Joni Mitchell, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, like Bob Dylan, like the fans of those people were really invested in the stories they were saying. I mean, they, they were singing the landscape of the times, right? You could probably say that about the grunge era too, but like like people were invested in music and the stories and all that. Like it was all together, like the lives and the, lives and the times, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And I would love to see a deeper return to that for individuals, like fans listening like that. And there's lots of fans like that. Um, and that's out there. I, I guess I just w- I hope that that gets stronger and stronger. Or that's recognized as like artists are for their stories and they're telling you the stories and, and reflecting back to you like what's what's happening. And you can be with them or art. maybe that art gets closer to life and we get closer to art. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I guess Massey, could, case in point, Julia Massey. Oh, I love her. Any yeah. of the shit she's done, any of the, the, mm-hmm. the live little mini podcast uh, webcasts no. that they've done. No, she'll play a song and then she'll cut people's hair and then, you know, I love her. You know, yeah. Well, and, yeah. And, and I'm going to quote her right now because one of the first things she talked about in this environment is maybe, and, and I was just a second ago, I was just talking about albums over with fuck all the, you know, music history. And I was, maybe this is the return to albums. 
Oh, you know what? Someone was telling me that too. They were talking about some record and they're like, no, this is like a record. And I was like, yes. Yeah. Thank you. It's like a whole story like, arc. That, it's nice. Yeah. Well, yeah. And there's, there's the live shows are never going to be the same, mm-hmm. you know, right. You know, live shows are always going to be a reenactment of a better day. Right. Know? So people, the, so only a certain kind of pe- people are going to want to be part of safe live shows. God bless. But the, that's going to have to happen. So yeah, for me, uh, I, I don't know what's going to go on. I don't pretend to have a, a hunch, but uh, it's wide open. Anything could happen. And right. I'm seeing that the people that want to support musicians and the people that like musicians, if we can't see them live, then the album becomes, why? Right, here's the five songs I wrote. Here's the 15 songs I wrote. Right. And in these songs, I'm going to tell a story, which is what you're talking about, because you can't help but do that if you write a, if you write a, an album and not a series of singles, if you write an album over a period mm-hmm. of three months or a year or something like that, you're going to tell a story. Right. You know, you yeah. know, whether you're talking about yourself or whether you're talking about something, you know, global or something like that, the personal and the political, all that stuff gets merged. If the artist has any kind of thing to bring, it, it can't help but be a story of the time that they live in. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, the album I is the novel. It. It's like, you know, it's the long form. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's a very good yeah. point. It's the novel. I talked yes. about it. Hear that? It's the novel, <laughs> it's, yeah. right? It's the modern, I mean, you know. Well, Steve, when you and I were working on my last record, I was like, "That's how you 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 were saying to me, like you're making a record, like you look at it like a storyline, like it's it's a novel that you're putting out there." We don't, you know. I think a year ago too, we were like, "I don't know that anybody's listening like that." Got to be honest, like I don't know that anyone's going to listen like you like you made it. Um, but that is what I was making because that's that is what I like and. Um, you know, that's what I like. Um, and those are records I grew up on like that, like Carol King tapestry or, you know, or even like Kate Bush, Hounds of Love or yeah, I would listen to a record like that. So that would be very exciting. Um, you, and, and I think it's nice to hear from you guys about the things that you're seeing, because when we went to shelter in place, I, um, disengaged from all social media. Like I deactivated everything because I needed to for the time being. And I hope um, I I want to find my way back to participating in that without hurting myself. (laughs) Um, And because I just kind of I got to watch it because I was finding what I've noticed after not having been on it now for two months. um, I have a lot of return of energy to myself. And I realized I really needed that. Like I, you know, a lot of my energy was getting in a futile way strewn out there. And so, but I do love the sharing, like the Ben Gipper, you know, and Julia Massey from Julia Massey's in a band called Warren Dunes. And they are just such good energy. Like I want to, I would love to do those things too. I got to find a mentally healthy, good way to do that. Steve, I might come over to your house when we can all like be together. Maybe we have a show. <laughs> well, and I, Here's the growth industries, right? Here's here's the ways the money happens, right? Is what if there's some semi-intelligent mixing console that somebody figures out how to make for $200 that runs the levels properly? And if you plug in three mics and two acoustic guitars and a keyboard, you set the levels, it's going to adapt to you. You don't need right. you don't need reverb, you don't need automation. You just got some semi-intelligent box. So all of a sudden, these little podcasts, these little windows out here sound good. Instead of yeah. so, so there's a growth industry there. Uh, there's opening up the bandwidth so we can send higher uh, quality stuff or better codecs 
I mean, there's all these things getting way, ready to happen. This simple thing we're doing right now is so cave, you know. Uh, right. But but it is the point that that uh, you know a musician in Seattle can talk to a fan in whatever, or a musician wherever can talk to a musician wherever, and they can write a song together and either send files back and forth, which was the '80s golden dream, or now it's playing in real time. Right. Jack and Dino's the guy that's pointing out the one place where there isn't a lag. Back and forth is shortwave radio and ham radio. <laughs> nice. Got to bring it back. Oh, my exactly. God. Here's my yeah. overdub facility. I've got a giant antenna, you know, yeah. and I'm tuned in to Miami and I'm tuned into Paris. And we're going to make a hell of a record here today. Mm -hmm. These Parisians and these. You know, <laughs> I love that. Guys, you know, whatever, you know. So. Oh, that could be pretty that. cool. Yeah. I was impressed like that. I'm a big fan of the new band Superorganism. And like their mm -hmm. whole shtick was that they did it all remotely. Like they sent each other recordings back and forth. And I was like, I still can't even like part of me has a hard time wrapping my head around how hard that is to make music that way. Yeah. Well, I'm a cocksucker. Pell-Mell was doing that in 1984. <laughs> well, it's even slower <laughs> then. We need yeah. you now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so it's not hard to do. It's fun to do. Yeah. It's the opposite of hard to do. You come up with a track, you send it to somebody they blow their nose all over it. They send it to somebody else. You pick what you need. Uh, yeah, you're right. It is hard to do. But but this is, you know, the, the point is pre-digitally, Pell-Mell was doing shit like this. Nice. Yeah. Nice. You know, and that's because we still wanted to be a band after we broke mm -hmm. up. And one guy had an A-track in Connecticut. And one guy had an A-track in San Francisco. And mm -hmm. I was in Ellensburg where we had an A-track. So, so, yeah, that that's that world, that, that, that idea that everybody's been collaborating and all of that, I mean, that can still happen. I think that's an idea that people are excited about that can happen and it can be something cooler than another we are the world, you know, right. <laughs> something like well, that. Yeah. Or, you know. I also think, I also think in these times, like people will let a lot more room for not, per for not perfection. Mm -hmm. Right. You know what I mean? Like, why don't you just watch the experiment in real time and we're not going to worry about whatever the fact that you're getting to see it at all is interesting, you mm -hmm. know, and then watch it evolve um, as a be being so concerned about whether or not it sounds perfect or glossy or anything like that. Like you're getting to watch life. Well, that's why I'm talking about, about how we're going to hopefully as a society uh, learn quickly that trying to reenact live shows, live concerts, it, it's all going to be a reenactment. It's not going to be as good. And we don't mm -hmm. want to spend a lot of time going. It used to be better because that's where fascism starts. Fascism is always, let's make it great again. Mm -hmm. uh, things used mm -hmm. to be better. Let's take us back to the 40s when people knew their place or whatever ugliness right. you want to, you know, throw in the 40s or something like that. So so for me, you know, uh, and I'm joining an idiotic chorus of new age monkeys out here going, anything can happen now. It's so great. You know, just stay <laughs> open. Just got to keep your possibilities. You know, got to keep listening. <laughs> Hey, wait. Hey, wait. That sounds like me. Get out of here. It's fucking true. Yeah, it's the great reset. We can start anew, you know? Yeah, and make good shit instead of bad shit and say goodbye to the stupid stuff and then embrace what there was cool about what was happening before. But yeah, it's not so we can make a safe place for Sting and, you know, Puff Daddy to go hang out and, you know, cover Lead Belly or whatever would be happening for some fundraiser for musicians in 2021. You know, it's like, you know, and, and what I like is all the 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 the, uh, the armed robbery that's going on, you know, like, uh, you know, musicians have had their livelihood stolen from them with the demonetization of music. And now we've had the gigs stolen from us. 
Uh, And Mark Zuckerberg has the nerve to come on and say, oh, it's terrible what's going on in the arts. And, you know, and so Steve Naive and his lovely wife and a bunch of Hollywood actors. Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg is right. Why don't you pay up? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Why don't you take a 25th of what you have and give it to the arts? Asshole. Let's not go start a We Are the World concert so we can sell a record that a percentage of will go out to help the farmers. Fuck you, Mark Zuckerberg. You're going to complain <laughs> about something? Pay up. Jeff Bezos, if you're going to say, oh, this is unfortunate, pay up. Yeah. You know, yeah. The I mean, guy he's about to be a trillionaire. Money. He can afford it. Oh, my gosh. You know, you're not allowed to have an opinion unless you're bought your place at the table. And if, you know, you've got yeah. $5 trillion in the car, then your place at the table is going to cost, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry if yeah. you play with all the good amateurs three-year-old approach to economics but that's what i'm seeing now you know (laughs) yeah well it's on everybody's mind right you know like we're saying it's it could be a total reset so we're looking at all the things um i some of it i love like some of it i'm like thank i'm so glad i'm so grateful for things are going on i'm certainly not happy about people passing away or being ill um but i'm i'm pretty psyched about a reset um for me i guess if i'm just owning my own thing um but it'll be very interesting i but i don't like i mean i I, like the you mentioned steve like not playing live you know what i mean so i do think oh god like when will we be able to play live like when because so you know my band goodness has got shows booked were booked for june 6th and then moved now we're trying to move it to october but even october you know we're trying to decide well that you know, because the rules around that could be, oh, they can open to 50% capacity and everybody's got to sit apart. And so right, it's not the same. you want to support yeah. the business, but the band doesn't make it, you know what I mean? And then do, do you really want to risk gathering? I mean, is that rude to the, your fans having them gather or your yeah, bandmates who have fan. kids? Yeah, like, I don't know that that's so the right thing to do. I mean, I, I, I miss playing live and I want that, but I don't want to be a part of, you know, I don't want to be a part of something that's like, mm-hmm. let me give you some music to feel passionate about. But, oh, you all got sweaty and now passed it on. You know what I mean? And we're a part of the I- incremental rise in COVID in the fall. Like, um, yeah. it's it's I really think... rough. But what freaks me out, like, how long this will go on. Didn't Dave Grohl just the... write about that, too? Like, I think he just did, like, an article that was all about bringing back the live shows and what that means. And Yeah. Was like... Yes. Those are some of the rules I've heard. Like, mm-hmm. so, I, anyway. I have, a, I have a smarter brother. Yeah. He's younger than me. Not <laughs> and? pretty much. Uh, he's a statistician. Oh. And to hear him talk about where it's going, it's like, no. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah. first off, as old people, we've probably been robbed five to ten years of our life. Oh, my but God. Like, even if we made it through all of this stuff, it's coming around again and it's coming around again. And if it doesn't get you when you're 65, it'll get you when you're 70. And by the way, while we're talking about ways to die, a respiratory illness is not the worst way to die. Now I sound like a Republican. I mean, there's You're a lot really of terrible ways. There's a lot of terrible ways to die. Yeah. You, you go out and get rid of that, the thing right behind it, it's going to be worse. I'm an old man, I can tell you. Uh, uh, but, but, but here's, here, here's, a, here's, a, here's um, a counter to what you're saying, mm-hmm. or, or rejoinder or whatever, but like the other night, me and Anne, my wife, were watching the end of live music in Boston and mm-hmm. my dear friend Christian McNeil from the band Stoom that I recorded in the nineties who got 
signed and uh, I helped them fuck up their music career. God bless you, Stoom. I'm so sorry, Stoom. Uh, but um, he did a song that was about society and compartmentalization and people living in cages. And then he uh, said, I, and he does beautiful somewhat soft Irish brogue. He's been in Boston for a long time, but he's still got a hell of a crazy accent and uh, mm -hmm. uses some wonderful, weird, old-fashioned words to talk about things. And so through all of that stuff, he was talking about how, oh, shit, well, here's a song that means something now, and it doesn't mean the same thing as it used to be. And uh, Oh, yeah. I'll tear up a little bit. Well, uh, At the dawn of this virus thing, yeah, he's still thinking about those kids. Yeah, the border, and they're in their fucking cages. Yeah, like, where do they fucking go when they close their eyes? And right there, and they've yeah. been there for how many months now? And the point was, is that audience crammed into that little small room started crying. Yeah, and me and my wife started crying. Yeah, and uh, it was all happening over the internet, motherfucker. Right, and the internet was real. Right. 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 Yeah. And a live right. show in Boston was a live show in Tacoma. Right. You know, for me and my wife. Yeah, the power so is still there. Yeah. Oh, I love I love that. But that's real feelings. Like, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. I can still so connect. Maybe we have to grow as a species and learn yes. to appreciate this gift that we have with the internet and all these cameras and all these speakers and all these microphones and figure out a way to use it that we like. Because right now it's kind of loose. Mm -hmm. Right. Wonderful. But what if what if we uh Said, no, I really want to hear what this fucking tube and throat thing singer wants to sing because his kid just died. <laughs> We've been following the kid in the hospital and it's really sad. And he, all right, dad's going to do the, so the song that the tube and sing when the kid dies, you know, and, right. you know, me and yeah. 26 other people get to do that on the internet. You right. Know? And like that, you know, I'm mean, starting to make it morbid, starting to make it about death, <laughs> but I'm starting as, as, as humanity and experiencing these things collectively, you know, uh, well, you know, Fuck rock candy. Fuck the crocodile. Right. I don't really need to go in there again. You know, right. I got all the humanity I need right here. Well, I think you I get all the it. people. I, I get all the love right here. Yeah. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's like the best thing we've said this whole podcast. I love that. Thank you, Steve. That was I mean, that's that's what it's all about. I've been thinking about it. People have been asking me. So I've had to come up with questions and answers. And yeah. You know, I hung out with Davey C and his partner yesterday. We were talking about exactly the same conversation, you know? Right. But I think, I mean, this is the beautiful, the possible beautiful that could come out of this, like the connecting and, and bearing witness and, and, you know, being with each other that way, not, not being with us, like all being on social media, but not really ever being with each other, you know, as well, real things happen. Bigger than this music getting bigger than this phone I'm holding in my hand. Right. The audience and right. And so the music we get on the phone and makes us happy. We put it on, we make breakfast or whatever, but it's not the music we turn to when we're lonely. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. not yes. the music we turn to when we're in love. It's not the music we turn to when, you know, whatever, you know, it's I a, gotta, that music comes from someplace else, you know? Right, yes. Right. Well, and I got to say during this time, one of the other things that I've reacquainted myself with, too, is going back and listening to music like I did when I was in high school, like going back to the music that I like. And I can't tell you how I mean, I can tell you it lifts me like I love it. And that's how I used to function as a person. I used to that used to be a great joy in my life. 
um, prior to doing bands and knowing way too much about, about the business again, like I really feel like this time is a return to self and I have refound the music listener that I was. And it's, it's so much fun. Like, and I can't even tell you how grateful I am to be able to feel those things again. Cause they'd, I have felt them really lost. You know, you just get to, you know, like I know too much and now I'm scarred and it's like, it's, uh, it's a chance to return to the things that are important. Mm -hmm. And I think your example, Steve is, is one of those. And I think it's just so imperative. It's so important. Um, and if we can use, you know, wherever technology is and wherever it's going to be this way, uh, that's the, I think that'd be a gift. Like they'd be great. Well, and, and there's, the point is, is that there's jobs for people to design the new interfaces. There's jobs for people to build the new interfaces. There's jobs for people to distribute the new interfaces. You know, this, this world doesn't have to stop. Right. right. So, right. You know, there, there, there's all kinds of things that are ready, ready to happen here without us all just going back to restaurants and state fairs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no turkey wrapped in bacon. All right. You might have to let that go. Well, Steve, I thank you so much for doing yeah. this. I Thanks just, I lot. love you so much. You too, girl. Yeah, I feel thanks. like, uh, I feel so glad that I know you. I can't wait. I'm going to be bugging you today later about doing more like. You got the, to. You got I got to. to. I'll I got do to it. Catch up. I, you know, I just get just yeah. got through a Julia's live record. Uh, I'm mixing yeah. this amazing record for Shane Evans, who's this just incredibly deep singer songwriter from Kansas City that uh, Rob Knopf put me up with, and so I've got. To, yes. Oh, to I love to him work too. With and every yeah, he's a children's author. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, so Shane crazy. Evans. He's a black guy. He does books for kids uh, that nice. are the wrong color. And, and oh, I love that. That's yeah. great. <laughs> oh, no, no. He's, you know what they got in Hall, you know, in Kansas? They got motherfucking Hallmark, you know? Oh, so, yes. So this guy oh, came yeah. up through that, and now he's his own thing, and he's got a music yep. career and a book career. And, oh, cool. And uh, I'm very happy. Yeah, Hallmark is based there. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. See, so there's plenty to do. All right. So duly noted bug Steve Moore. I sent you but, a song. But I want to get, get on it. The first thing I got to do is get is is just take those drums and just make it more decipherable and something I can mix. That's all. It's not going to happen. I'll get it done next week. Okay. I'll just get that's more. All here. What's the date here? I'm on testimony here. Yeah. Next week. May 17th. Am I right? Yep. May 17th, yeah, Sunday. I'll, I'm going to commit to being way more annoying bugging you. Um, and when you get mad at me, you'll be like, I just said I'd bug you. Is this pilot? You're washing your hands at the end of the, uh, uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got to go wash my hands, people. Um, but I love you very much. I thank you. Thank you so much. Please say hi to, uh, Ann and, um, who also is a, an amazing artist as well. And, um, I will talk to you soon. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time and your efforts today, guys. We appreciate it. And, Anytime. Uh, and I was worried that if I was going to figure out some new way to tell the story, because people are asking me to tell, well, how did you? And so this is all <laughs> that inside a year. And it's going, yeah. God, I can't. You know, I and know. Lanigan's got his book out now, right? You know, so oh, yeah. he's like busy giving his version of Ellensburg. And we're going like, yeah, I guess that happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's all out there now. No. Well, I appreciate it. No. I know you've told the story 18 million times, but. Um, it's still fun. I love story. hearing you, it. You haven't asked this. You've asked different questions. It's, it's okay. Always, it's, it's a good thing. I'm up for it. I'm very happy to tell my story. I'm glad anybody's even interested. I love it. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you loved it. Yeah. 
Namaste, motherfucker. Thank you. <laughs> my favorite. My favorite. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Great everyone. Day. Yeah. Hey, um, we will, I, I would love to have Ryan, if it's not annoying, like th- we have so many links to things that I would, I really want to do. Yep. Um, maybe we'll compile a list and Steve will share it with you and be like, do we, we want to have yeah. links to all this. Do we miss anything? Like what else do you think is interesting? We should have like links so people could go down rabbit holes. Yeah. Put the link to the movie. The movie's brand new, even though it's from 1987, it just got released. And I'm sure people. The one you guys, the screaming trees and you advantage. Okay. Yes, Fertilochrome. Okay. It's got a funny name, so it's Googleable. The Fertilochrome originally was the Fertilochrome Cheerleader Massacre, although <laughs> nobody dies text. in the film. Yeah. Actually, Pickerel <laughs> died in the film, but it was pretend. Anyway, uh, yeah, okay. if anybody wants to see Mark Pickerel explode in uh, a pile of gas and uh, latex and well, take think, blood, yeah, who doesn't? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think my husband wants to see film. that. <laughs> you wait till the end. Mark Pickerel explodes in a latex fake blood pile. It's, and he's very good. He sells it. You know. Oh, my God. Him and his know. damn hair. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I love you both. Thank you. Take care. Have a great day. All right. All right you too. Bye. Talk to you guys Bye. later. Bye-bye. <laughs>